Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host. And with me is my co host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey, everybody. Today, we will be discussing the season three premiere, Gay Witch Hunt. In this episode, we see the fallout from the events of Casino Night. We learn a huge part of an employee's personal life. And this leads to an awkward meeting in the conference room. Season 3 opens with Dwight clipping his nails at his desk. Dwight blows his nail clippings towards Jim's desk. You expect it to be Jim. As the camera pans up, it's actually Ryan. We learn that Ryan has received a promotion. He's no longer a temp. He got Jim's old job. So right off the bat, we know that Jim has followed through with his transfer to Stanford. In this moment, there is a flashback to Casino Night, to how we left season two with Jim kissing Pam upstairs in the office with no one else around. And it is in this moment that Jim and Pam finally realize their feelings for each other and verbalize that to the other person. And Jim says that he's been waiting to do that for a very long time. Pam says as much as well. And she follows that up with, essentially, this isn't something that we can do, though. Because he tries to kiss her again. He feels this excitement in this moment, like they're finally coming together. He leans in for another kiss, and Pam says, Jim, just stops him enough, and Jim realizes it's all crashing down. Like, what a moment. He probably felt like he's on top of the world, and now he fell off the mountain because he says, so you're really going to marry him? And she just nods. And end of scene. And and it wouldn't be a Jim and Pam interaction if there wasn't still just this hint of denial of what is going on. Because after they kiss, Pam's like, I think we're both drunk. And Jim's like, I'm not drunk. Are you? And she's like, no. <laughs> and so, like, just... Just figure it out. Like, you know what's going on here. Stop trying to make excuses for it now. It's all out in the open. If you can't do it, you can't do it. That's one thing, but don't try and deny your feelings about it, though. Right. She is clearly still scared. She still plans to marry Roy, and Jim goes on to Stanford. The cold open ends with, I think, this pretty funny moment with Dwight and the cameras in which he's fake crying about missing Jim and then he stops and he says false I do not miss him and I only love that because my roommates and friends in college just that's so quintessential Dwight and that was such an easily quotable thing uh from Dwight so we just loved that I think that's the start of his false insert phrase here because he said he does that Like, that becomes almost his catchphrase. Agree. Agree. The continued fallout from the Casino Night Confession includes 
A lot of things, really. So Pam does end up calling off the wedding. So we still, so we're not quite sure when Casino Night took place, but we knew her wedding was supposed to be on June 10th. Yeah, uh, I think Casino Night is. It seems to be somewhere maybe in the March to April range. Oh, I was thinking May. Maybe I don't know. I was thinking maybe early May. So there's maybe about a month. Yeah. To the wedding. And Pam tells the camera that she got cold feet a couple days before and just decided she had to get out of that relationship. She can't really explain it, but she knew it had to happen. So, but she says she's doing well. She has her own apartment. She's taking art classes. And her and Roy had to still pay for the food. So they froze it all. So they just split uh, every day. One decides between chicken and fish. Because we do see Roy come upstairs to give her the option, give her a plate. And there's a very short, stunted interaction between the two of them. And you can tell Pam is just trying to keep him at arm's length. Probably hard that they work in the same place. And that they're sharing lunch. And this is one of those made-for-TV moments because if they are literally having chicken or fish every single day for lunch and Roy is assumedly bringing Pam this, her choice of chicken or fish every single day, like, he doesn't need to ask her, so how you doing? Like, how are things going? He probably saw her, like, yesterday. He's more asking, like, how's your day been today? He's trying. So he also tells the camera crew how his life has been since Pam called off the wedding. He said that he really struggled, went to a dark place, culminated in a DUI. But now he is working out, and he realizes how much he took Pam for granted, and he wants to win her back. So him asking, how's your day going, is him trying to win her back. Have you ever been there before? Been where? Like the the back half of Roy's post Pam life, where you were just like, "Nope, I'm getting it. I'm getting her back. I'm getting in shape. I'm making sure she sees how great I'm doing. I'm I'm getting her back." No, I have not had that full experience. But what about you? Yes, I have. I've done it. I think twice. Um, once needed to happen anyway, I guess. Uh, the other time I was just, I don't know, lonely, I guess, and didn't want a relationship to end that probably wasn't that great of a relationship anyway. Not in the, like, detrimental sense, but, like, I was probably just more into it than I actually was for the sake of having a girl yeah yeah pretty much the other side of this fallout is jim's move to stanford and jim is playing this off as if it was a professional move for him he got a promotion i guess yes he probably got like the next step up it appears he is probably doing like the same job that he always has So he's probably where, like, Stanley and Phyllis are in that they've been there longer than he has, so... I always took it as um, the real version of Dwight's assistant to the regional manager, that he's sort of, like, 
the deputy manager or something like that, that he has actual responsibilities in Stanford. Hmm. That's what I always took it as, but it's not really explained yeah. what this promotion is. But he's playing it off of like, yeah, I got this great promotion. I have this great view in Stanford. Like he is quite honestly really trying to make the most of it. And he's really, it's just the other side of the coin of Roy. He's been rejected by Pam. And so maybe I identify with Jim's situation a little bit more than Roy's. So you had a crush on someone. You, as I said last episode, tried to put it out there that I wanted to be in a relationship. So your revenge is going to be like, I don't need you. I'm going to live well. I'm going to do all these great things in my life. And you're missing out. Well, because in Jim's case, there's nothing to lose. Like right. if if Pam rejects him, he's still more or less in the same position that he is anyway, because sure. he's not with Pam. Like with Roy, he has lost his fiance. Yeah, he's, he's lost his relationship. He's they've lost all this money. Right. He is now, I assume, living in the place that they lived in together by himself. So there's a lot more fallout on Roy's end than there is for Jim. Yeah, you have to assume that, unfortunately, they probably lost a lot of money. Yeah. So with a new office, we meet some new employees, mainly Andy and Karen. A little bit of Josh, too, but he's not as important. Right. We've already met Josh. He was in the meeting in New York when the branch managers had to give their presentation to David Wallace. To David Wallace, yes. And we only get a very quick interview with Karen. This is mostly spent learning about Andy. And yes. we see some of the quirks and personality traits that we will come to know Andy by. Yes, Andy is pretty fully formed, I would say. There's not uh, that buildup that had to occur with some of the minor characters in season two to get to know them. We know a lot about Andy right off the bat. He went to Cornell, ever heard of it, and he didn't study once, was drunk the whole time, and was part of an acapella group called Here Comes Treble. Andy is very much the guy in your office that you you don't like for completely innocent reasons like he Andy is never going to be rude to you or like leave dirty dishes in the kitchen or like do like egregious stuff that gives you actual reasons be like no I just really don't like that guy mm-hmm. he's just anno- over the top annoying and He's just somebody that you would avoid in the office. Like, if you saw him walking down the hall, you'd be like, oh, I guess I'm turning in this hallway here. Yeah. I don't want to talk to him. And Ed Helms doesn't have a very youthful look, so it's hard to tell how old Andy, the character, is supposed to be. But one thing that always kills me about his character is how much he still talks about college. Like, he just graduated or something, but... I really don't think that's the case. And he loves Cornell. In my impression, Karen is a little apprehensive of Jim. 
she does do one interview with the camera where she just points out that Jim is always looking at the camera and making dopey faces. And she's like, what's up with that? So she's kind of not very high on Jim. Well, this interstitial comes immediately after a scene where the employees of Stanford are in their conference room and Josh is leading some meeting and they mentioned that they have to go through a diversity training because of things happening in Scranton, which comes as no surprise to Jim or us for that matter. And then he says there's, I don't know, some something to do with cold calls and everybody kind of groans like in a joking way, but in a serious way. And Jim is just like immediately like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Cause I think Jim is just happy to do meaningful work because that came so rare. Yeah. He's probably happy just to be in a conference room meeting. That isn't some silly seminar about something completely unrelated to their job. Right. And so the timing of Karen's interstitial and the subject matter of Karen's interstitial was is just very odd to me because it's right after Jim kind of does this almost sucking up to the boss thing. And she's just like, he's kind of weird. He does this thing where he looks at the camera all the time. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Jim does try to bring his pranks into the Stanford office just because he realizes that he misses it. But... It does not go well for him. He tries the office equipment and jello trick that he tried early on in season one, but he tries it with the wrong person. Andy seems like he would be an easy target for a prank like this, and he truly is, but he doesn't have Dwight's sort of personality to take it in. Andy has an anger problem. And that anger problem will definitely resurface later this season, but he cannot handle his calculator being in jello. So Jim does not have a great uh, outlet for his prank nature. I, I don't know what would have happened if Jim would have been like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> I don't if Andy would have just played it off or if he would have gone nuts on Jim. Right. Hard to tell. And the only other thing I would point out as fallout from Casino Night is that there's a lot of wistful looks from Pam towards Jim's old desk to where Ryan is now sitting. She tries to engage Ryan in sort of the playful banter that would happen between her and Jim during the conference room meeting that Michael holds, but Ryan's not really having it. She's realizing how much she misses Jim. Yes, this is the reciprocal of when Pam was on vacation and Ryan was working the reception desk for that week or whatever. Right. And Jim kept looking over at the reception desk at, at Ryan in this case. And Jim is kind of having the same thing. We get a shot at the very end of the episode where... They are at a in a conference room meeting in Stanford, and there is an empty chair next to Jim, and Jim just kind of looks over at it. Right. So there's definitely some missing of each other. The heart of this episode 
really revolves around Michael and Oscar. And it is, I don't know, Curtis, it is a hard episode to watch in 2020. I don't know. What do you think? I think there are definitely moments where it's it's awkward and probably something that would not be included in this day and age. Overall, though, I think it is just centered on Michael's inability to grasp any kind of foreign concept. Agree. And you just cannot do it. Yeah. And it's in a, it is done well enough in this episode that it is in a lighthearted enough way to where I don't think it's that offensive. But at the same time, the episode isn't teaching any lessons or or shining a light on anything that would really kind of lead to any sort of realization in any body that would be watching the episode. Yes, so this episode originally aired in September of 2006, which was 14 years ago, which is also nuts to think about that there could have been a child born at that time that is now in high school, which, okay, we won't even go down that rabbit hole of age and oldness, but what happens is that Michael is being reprimanded by Toby for using the word faggy. Which in and of itself is, I think, probably enough to be a firing. Absolutely. Right off the bat. It is very much the same as the episode of Diversity Day when Michael uses the N-word. Yeah. It's It's a derogatory term that applies to a marginalized group. He absolutely gets fired for that. And... It's unfortunate because Michael has called Oscar faggy for liking a certain movie. Right. And it's not even... And this is kind of where the this doesn't get handled that well. I, I think in this... In 2020, I don't think that... I don't think this gets used at all. Agreed. This part, this portion of, portion of it. But I think they kind of miss the part, miss the point by saying it's not okay to call Oscar faggy because he's actually gay. It's not okay to call anybody that. Right. I thought it was odd that Toby seemingly, not seemingly, he did out Oscar to Michael. But it sounded like that he had Oscar's permission to do so because Toby says to Michael that Oscar hopes that he could count on Michael's discretion. And we all know that that's absolutely not going to happen. No, and of course, right away, Michael goes out into the open concept office, really kind of traps Oscar at the copier, and just says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. If I had known, I wouldn't have called you that. I have been using that word since junior high. If I don't know how to act, it's because I am so far the other way. And just really doesn't have any understanding of what he is saying or doing. And effectively, he outs Oscar 
to the rest of the accounting department. Real quick, Michael's excuse of, if I don't know how to act, it's because I'm so far the other way. Do you think that means he is, he doesn't know how to act because he is amazingly straight or he doesn't know how to act because he is the furthest thing away from homophobic? I think the first one. I think he's trying to say he is just so into ladies and just so focused on chasing skirt that he couldn't even possibly fathom or know anything. Right. It's a it's a really horrendous watch because so much is played for laughs and it just doesn't age very well um, in that regard. Because even Kelly comes up to Oscar and was like, oh my God, you're so cool. Because she's sort of trying to go into the trope of the gay best friend. Right. To, you know, the gay best friend to the straight uh, white woman. Although Kelly's not white. Toby, as the HR person, has to bring this issue up the chain. Because right now, Michael has opened up the company to a potential discrimination lawsuit. And this is serious enough to warrant a visit from Jan. So Jan and Toby have to confront Michael and just try to make him see how, to use a word that Jan used, obtuse he is. This is unbelievable to Jan, one in the day and age, but two, just to where the company is in their financial position that Michael is going to put them at such risk. And there is a line that is kind of a throwaway line that in my mind is a bit problematic from Jan in that she is viewing Oscar and his homosexuality as a benefit for the company. Like right. it's a... Like a diversity Yeah, hire. it's a diversity hire. Like it, I'm so glad that we have this person in our office because it's, you know, it, it basically it looks good for the company. Right. But in Michael's office, Jan comes off making a lot of very, very good points. And she is kind of playing the opposite of Michael, who throughout this entire interaction and really this entire episode in general is just amazingly dumb. Yeah, it it's really bad. He cannot get out of his own headspace to just have any level, any small modicum of understanding for Oscar or for anyone that's just not like him. And he doesn't see the problem with making it known to everybody that Oscar is gay. Mm -hmm. Toby and Jan make the point in his office that, hey, this is something very personal to Oscar and coming out on their own terms and to the people they want to come out to yeah. is something that's very important to homosexuals. Yeah, at and a time the, and place that they want to, which is probably not at work. Right. And so Michael just can't grasp this concept and is saying, like, I don't see what the big deal is. You know, gay pride parades, there's things like that all the time. Like, why is what I'm doing any different than that? And he doesn't understand that the people who are participating in gay pride parades are people who are already out 
and are trying to advocate for other people to be out. So Michael still quite isn't getting it. He employs Dwight to sort of help him figure out if there's any more gay persons in the office because he doesn't want to offend anyone else. So he has to know how to act. And Dwight suggests, well, maybe you should treat everyone as though they're gay. And Michael says, no, people wouldn't want me to do that. Again, still not at all getting it. Dwight suggests that they use this thing called gaydar, which Jim had told him about. They end up calling Jim. So this is a prank. End up calling Jim. Jim says, oh, I'll look and see if I can find it on Shopper Image. Says it's sold out immediately. He doesn't even look. He knows what he's doing. So Michael's just like, how, how are we going to know? How are we going to possibly know? Because Angela is now really discriminating against and being hateful towards Oscar. Her initial reaction to learning that Oscar is gay was surprisingly tame for the character that we know she is. But later in the episode, it definitely, that side of her character comes out more. We see her, like, using hand sanitizer, for lack of a better word, religiously, as if, yeah, yeah. just... Just short-sighted and ignorance uh, on her yeah, part. Yeah, as if being around Oscar is going to pr- give her germs or disease or something. Right. In this really, this whole episode really all culminates with a conference room meeting. And we get to that conference room meeting because Dwight is looking at gay pornography on his computer. Pam comes into Michael's office, interrupts Toby really chiding him, saying that you have outed Oscar at work. You've now subjected him to discrimination by his co-workers. And now you're having another one of your employees look at gay pornography. So Pam reports this to Michael. Dwight says, well, Michael knows he told me to do it for research, which so many things wrong with this whole segment. Angela has another snide comment, something like, Oscar, these are your friends. Oscar says, this is dumb. I am done with this. Tries to walk away. He has to push past Angela. Angela freaks out, says, don't touch me. Dwight goes after Oscar for, you know, touching his girlfriend sort of thing. Right. And so at this point, Michael has lost control of the situation. He says conference room five minutes i don't care if you're gay street or overweight everyone's gonna be in there so also he, terrible he really does cover everybody in the <laughs> office there though in the conference room meeting is painful it is nonsensical just stream of consciousness from michael he tries to give a history lesson of the word gay. He almost plays himself up as a hero in some of this. Yeah. In that he is responsible for, I don't know, almost in a way that like, he's responsible for helping Oscar realize who he is and right. to, you know, be himself in front of everybody. Like, he's significant to Oscar's coming out story or something. Right. In a positive way, not a terrible negative way. And 
he pretty much straight up tells Oscar, here is your moment. You Here is where yes. you come out to everybody in this office. He makes them stand up and tell everyone. And Oscar, for some reason, follows along yeah. and is just like, yep, I'm gay. I didn't really plan on making this part of my life public to any of you people, but that is what it is. Yes. And Oscar's frustration is just growing throughout this meeting, really culminating in him saying, I can't work here anymore. This has been the worst day for and he re- And he gets up and tries to leave. Michael closes the conference room door and forces Oscar to hug him. But Oscar says, no, I don't want to, and pushes back and yells at Michael. And then Michael gets all, like, hurt and upset and everything. And so then it's on Oscar to have to comfort Michael. But no, it's not. I know. And that's where this is another one of those parts where Michael is a terrible person, and then every other person around him has to make him feel better for being a terrible person and that's not how it works in real life like oscar is completely in the right for yelling at michael and be like you did this to me you have ruined my life pretty much because this isn't something that i wanted these people to know you did this this is your fault and then when michael acts all wounded like he does whenever somebody like gets upset with him Mm -hmm. there's no way anybody would actually be like you know what hey my bad right i'm sorry i called you ignorant right so so oscar allows michael to hug him and it's supposed to be this quick moment but then michael kind of still holding him in the embrace says to everyone assembled burn this in your brains i'm gonna up the ante and turns back to Oscar and forces Oscar, forces a kiss on Oscar. Yep. And, oh my goodness. So, Michael has been fired this entire episode for every action. Pretty much. This taking the cake, forcing a kiss on a co-worker who does not want it. Dwight afterwards tries to kiss Oscar too, kind of an aside sort of thing. But just absolutely horrendous. Jan manages to save the company's butt by getting Oscar to sign an agreement not to sue for three months paid vacation in a company car. That's, I mean, that's, that's a long time. Yes. They're, he and Gil are going to go to Europe, which I believe it is at this point uh, in which Oscar Nunez, the actor, goes and shoots the proposal. Right. In Alaska or something. Yeah. That is always a fun part of watching this show where characters disappear for extended periods of time and yeah. you have to, like, you go search their IMDb and be like, okay, this was 2006. Like, what were they shooting in this time there? that they just disappear and... Like, there's a time when you can tell when Michael is shooting Dinner for Schmucks uh-huh. because his hair, like, you can, there's a wig. He's wearing a wig, and you can sometimes see, like, yeah. the blonde dyed hair that he has in that movie 
underneath the wig. Yes. Uh, and this really does come up in season three because there's lots of side projects. Or not side, I should say just other projects happening for the actors. Yeah. So some other tidbits as we close out the episode. Phyllis is engaged to Bob Vance. That comes out in the conference room meeting because Michael tries to say that maybe she is gay. It just turns into this thing where everyone's taking the worst stereotypical characteristics and saying, well, you could be gay because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And Phyllis says that in high school, people thought Michael was gay because he wore ties and matching socks. And that's kind of, again, a stereotypical thing. The episode ends with Mr. Brown from season one coming to Stanford to do the diversity training because of these incidents in Scranton. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of fun facts, let's go to the annex with Antoinette to find out any others in this episode. So only one. Um, I guess I have two, but the first one is a pretty big one. That kiss between Michael and Oscar was completely improvised by Steve Carell. They had shot the scene a couple times, I think, with the hug. And then Michael is the one that went back and kind of added those extra lines and then kissed him. And they play it pretty well. Um, And I guess everyone was laughing, but because the camera was just on Oscar and Michael, it was still a usable scene. And you could kind of see Oscar stifling a laugh. Like, he, he... has a very quick flash of a smile on his face before he like gets it back together yes in the character of andy and his love for cornell i believe is based off of someone that mindy kayleen interacted with during her time at dartmouth i think it's based on a dartmouth professor that she had that loved I can't remember, another Ivy League, where it's like, this school is so great. Have you ever heard of this school? And so it's sort of this caricature of a professor she had. Hmm. Curtis, we talked about a couple of firings. Who do you think gets fired in the episode? Well, Michael definitely gets fired for a multitude of reasons. I think he gets fired more in this episode for individual instances than he has for like the entire series yes he's really bad in this episode and i forgot how bad he is in this episode he is getting sued like that's the level of firing that's happening like the moment that an upper level manager has to come to you and says you're opening us up to a discrimination lawsuit you're done like that's it i have to imagine that part of the deal for oscar to get the three months paid vacation in the company car is that Michael is also no longer with the company. Right. Like, I think in the real world, that's how that's coming together. Yeah. So Michael gets fired. It's his first of the season, obviously. His 14th overall. Dwight gets fired for looking at gay porn on a company computer. And for using the gaydar that Jim sends. That was also pretty bad. Um, he goes up to Oscar and essentially it's just a metal detector yeah. that Jim put labels on but goes up and scans Oscar. Yeah. And so it's his first of the season and his fifth overall. 
Angela also is probably getting fired for just blatant yeah. discrimination. Yeah. Um, it's his her first of the season, her second overall. Antoinette, do you have a Dundee to give out? Yes. Uh, the Dundee for the worst nickname goes to the nickname of Big Tuna, which was bestowed upon Jim by Andy because Jim had a tuna sandwich on his first day at Stanford, which also shows that Jim is really trying to turn over a new leaf because he used to eat ham and cheese sandwiches every day at Scranton. Now he's trying to eat something different. Just big changes in Jim's life. Yes. Also just not creative in terms of the nickname. No. No. And no one wants to be called something weird at work. And Jim says he doesn't think anyone actually knows his real name because that's all Andy calls him. Yeah. What is your Dundee? My Dundee is the best season and it goes to summer because everyone in this episode is looking super tan (laughs) and looks really, really good. And that wouldn't happen if it weren't for summer. Summer break, for sure. Yeah. Um, Roy especially. Like, Roy, that's one thing that you can really see is that he... I wonder if this was for a role, and this might be another time where you have to, like, go back and look. But, like, he is significantly slimmer, Mm -hmm. and he's tan, and just he just looks good. David Denman definitely went somewhere tropical for his vacation. Yeah. Who is your employee of the month? My employee of the month is Oscar because he has gotten a three-month paid vacation and he had to endure probably one of the worst days of his life and came out the other side. I would probably have quit right then and there. For sure. Who is yours? Mine is Pam for actually going through with not marrying Roy. You said that funnily. And for kind of like making the changes in her life that she wants to make, that she had wanted to make and was just too scared or like let Roy really easily talk her out of doing. Sure. And so she is just, you know, living her life now. Yeah. Kudos to Pam for, kudos to a lot of people in this episode for just trying to live their best lives. Right. So that does it for us. First episode of season three. You can follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. Also, please be sure to keep listening to us on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to us. And rate, subscribe, comment, do whatever to help get our name out there. And we appreciate you sticking with us and starting season three with us and we will see you next time bye bye